Awesome. Well, hey, everybody. My name is Nick Schatz. I'm one of the pastors here and excited to open up the book of Proverbs and preach and teach from that today. How many of you are ready to open up God's Word and see what it has? Okay. Well, let's go ahead and do that. You can open to Proverbs. Uh, Now, because of the structure of Proverbs, there's not like one specific place it will be. We'll kind of jump around. So there's some some verses up on the screen. Appreciate that. Thank you. That you can follow along with. There's also sermon notes online if you want to pull those up uh, or just flip around in your Bible. That's fine. But today we're going to be talking about friendship. Friendship from the book of Proverbs. Now, before we get into it, I'm just curious. What comes to your mind when I say the word friend or friendship? What kind of emotions... What kind of opinions go through your mind when I tell you that we're talking about friendship today? Maybe you think about Chandler and Joey, Ross and Rachel, and then not Ross and Rachel, and then Ross and Rachel, and then not Ross and Rachel again, and Phoebe and Monica. Maybe maybe you think of that Friends show and and you, you longingly think of, man, if only I had this massive, huge apartment in downtown Manhattan. And I could hang out with five of my best friends every evening at this busy coffee shop and have a designated couch. That would be awesome. Maybe maybe there's some nostalgia there and you wish that 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 was reality because that's not real. I think we all recognize that. Maybe some of you think of someone you haven't seen in in years. Maybe it's been a decade since you've seen them. There's this TV show that stars Tim Allen that my wife and I uh, used to watch. And there's this episode where his wife tells him, she says, you don't have any friends. Name one friend. And Tim Allen in the show, he says... I have a good, my my best friend is is Sam, or whatever his name was, I don't remember. He says, Sam, I haven't seen Sam in 10 years. I don't know if he's dead or alive. He never calls me. That's what a true friend is right there. So so maybe you think of someone that you haven't seen in years, and my best friend, I I hope they're alive, but you haven't, you have no idea because you haven't talked to them in a long time. Uh, Maybe you think of all of your acquaintances, you know, people I work with, people here at church I'm with, maybe your neighborhood or or other connections that you have, sports things, whatever. You think of all these connections and and maybe maybe this is a confusing word for you, friend, because I know they're acquaintances. Are they they friend? Who meets the the friend box and who's in the acquaintance box? And maybe, maybe this is just a confusing thing for you to think about. Maybe there's someone in here also who just just hearing the word friend and knowing we're going to be talking about this, this discourages you. Because you are lonely, and if I were to ask you who are some of your friends, you, you maybe wouldn't be able to think of a single person. And so this whole topic is, is very discouraging for you. No matter where you're at, no matter what opinions or emotions come to mind when I tell you we're talking about friendship today, I think the book of Proverbs is here to help. And here's what Proverbs tells us. Proverbs tells us that if we want to be wise, we must learn to find terrific friends. If you want to be wise, you must learn to find terrific friends. Now, Proverbs talks a lot about friendship, and as it talks about friendship, it describes it as a journey. It's the people that are with you as you are on this journey called life. 23 times in the book of Proverbs, the word walk or walking comes up. An additional 23 times, the word path or road, something like that, comes up. And so uh, in, in your notes there, I put a couple different examples of those. Proverbs twenty three nineteen. Listen, my son, be wise and set your heart on the right path. And so there's these different paths that come up throughout the book of Proverbs. And we won't talk about each one, but there's the straight path and the crooked path. There's the righteous path and the wicked path. There are paths that lead to death, paths that lead to life. There's a sluggard's path and a diligent path. There are paths that lead to a trap or paths that lead to a reward. And how do you know which path are you on? How do you know if you're on a wise path or a foolish path, a life-giving path or a, a, a path leading to death? How do you know which path you're on? Well, Proverbs tells us the answer is very simple. Take your eyes off of the street and look around at the people around you. 
If you were to say, man, the people around me, my, my, my closest companions, my friends, these are wise people. You are on a wise path. If you look around and say, man, all, everybody around me is foolish. These people are dumb. They're lazy. There's a good chance that you are foolish and dumb and lazy, right? This, this is what Proverbs says. If you want to be on a wise path, surround yourself with wise people. If you're surrounded by foolish people, then you are on a foolish path. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. If you walk with the wise, you will become wise. A companion of fools, however, suffers harm. In other words, being a fool comes with painful consequences, right? If you want to be wise, Proverbs tells us, you must learn to find terrific friends. Now, in order to do that, I want to look at three different kinds of people, just just broad brush, three different kinds of people that Proverbs introduces us to, okay? And there's different names for them. But in, in broad categories, there's the evil people, there is the fool, and there is the wise. And as you open up Proverbs, right off the bat, you are introduced to the first category, to evil people. Proverbs 1.10 reads this, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. There are evil people in this world, and they love violence, they love to destroy property, they take advantage of weaker people, they prey on children, they abuse their wives, they are punks. All right? They appear powerful on the outside, however, on the inside they are weak and insecure and needy, and the only way for them to feel better about themselves is to take it out on weaker people and make them feel smaller so they can feel bigger. There are wicked people in this world. And so Proverbs 1.10 says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Stay away from that crowd. Here's what he goes on to say in verse 18. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. An evil man... An evil woman, they are heading down a path that is self-destructive. It will land them in jail. It may land them in the grave. And you need to stay away from these kind of people. Okay, So stay away from the evil person. Another person that we're introduced to is the fool. All right, Sometimes he's called the, the sluggard or the simple. There's different words to describe the fool. But here he is in Proverbs 17.7. Fine speech is not becoming to a fool. One of the Hebrew words for fool is the word nabal. The Hebrew word for fool, uh, one of the Hebrew words for fool is the word Nabal. Say that with me. Ready? Nabal. In fact, there's a character in the Bible named Nabal. Usually when we read it, we pronounce it Nabal. But we, entered, we, we meet his wife, and his wife is talking to King David one day. And here's what, his, here's what Nabal's wife says about him. She says, one cannot speak to him. You cannot speak to Nabal. He is a Nabal, right? You can't reason with Nabal. And it eventually, eventually leads to his death, right? Uh, the other Hebrew word for fool is the word internet. Sorry. I think I, I, I mispronounced that, so don't take, don't take notes on that. But being around fools is kind of like being in a circus, right? Sometimes fools are really fun to be around. You ever been to a circus? Raise your hand if you've been to a circus before. Okay, it's fun. It's fun to be in a circus. Being around a fool sometimes can be like being in a circus. It's a lot of fun. What the fools don't realize is that they are the elephant, and everyone around them is carrying a shovel, right? The fools, the fools are the kinds of people, they make bad choices, they live in the moment, they don't accept reality. If something bad happens to them, it's somebody else's fault. There's injustice, there's, you know, whatever. If, if they want to improve their life, someone else has to take the initiative, or I need someone else to do this for me, or why can't I find a job? It's that guy's fault, right? It's always, they don't accept reality, they don't take responsibility, they unload, they dump their responsibility on other people. And if you're surrounded by fools, they, they never take responsibility, they just keep expecting you to take their responsibility. They don't realize... That they're the elephant in the circus. And all the rest of us are carrying shovels, picking up... Anyway, moving on. Okay, so you have the evil person, you have the fool, and here's the third person you meet in Proverbs. You have the wise. And once again, Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise, and you will become wise. Walk with the wise, and you will become wise. Whatever path you're on right now, 
the reason you are on that path is because of the people around you. Whatever path you want to end up on someday, you will only get there if you surround yourself with the right kinds of people. And there's these three different kinds of people. Find wise people. So today, once again, if you want to be wise, you must learn to find terrific friends. Okay? So today, there's two things I want to say about that. There's two insights that are going to lead us to that one point. Two insights that I want to share with you today, okay? The first one is this. We're going to discover why it's so, why is it so hard? We're going to discover why it's so hard to find terrific friends. Okay, here's a sneak peek, we'll get to this in a second, but the reason it's so hard to find terrific friends is because we live in a society that, in which individualism is so pervasive in our culture. It is more convenient than ever to be independent, and it is, it is less convenient than ever to be interdependent with other people. And the independence, the autonomy, the self-reliance that we have come to expect of ourselves and of others, it is actually harming us, and that is why it is super hard. I, I would even say it's nearly impossible to find a terrific friend these days. So we're going to talk about that. Why is it so hard to find terrific friends? Uh, That's encouraging, so I don't want to leave you there. So here's the second insight that I want for us to look at today. I want us to redefine the kinds of friends that you want to have. Once I've thoroughly convinced you that you need a terrific, at least one, just find one terrific friend in your life, we're going to talk about how you can find an iron sharpening iron kind of relationship. Once again, if you want to be wise... You must learn, Proverbs tells us, to find terrific friends. All right? So let's dig in. Here's insight number one. Let's discover why it's so hard to find terrific friends. Comedian John Mulaney once said that the greatest miracle Jesus ever performed is that he was in his mid-30s and he had 12 best friends. How did he do that? <laughs> right? This is, this is impossible. That was his first miracle. How in the world did he do that? And better question, why is it so hard to find good friends? Why is it so hard to find one good friend? I believe the answer is one word. Individualism. We live in a culture where individualism is so pervasive, we don't even, we don't even realize it because this is the only world that we've ever grown up in. And here's how I define individualism. It's this idea that you can be self-reliant. You don't need other people. You are autonomous. You can be self-reliant. So I want to take a moment and I want to compare our lives to the lives of the original readers of Proverbs, the very first people who read Proverbs and our lives today, I want to compare and contrast what that difference looks like, okay? So nowadays, you don't borrow money from people. You go to a bank and you talk to people you've never met before. Or maybe you do it online. I don't know, maybe you don't even go talk to anybody. You just do it via email or whatever. Nowadays, you don't trade crops with your neighbor to make it through the winter. You go to Giant and spend a fortune, right? That's what you do. You don't end your evening with friends, you end your evening with Netflix, watching Friends, right? You don't, or Hulu, I don't know, whatever Friends is on nowadays. You don't call your family for advice. You go to Google. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Siri. Okay, the first service, somebody's phone actually went off, and that was funny. But, okay, you don't, inherit, you don't inherit the family farm, right? You pursue your own dreams, whatever those dreams may be, independent of whatever your dad and his dad and whatever dad did, right? You aren't glued to a community. If you want to move... You just move. And many of us in this room have lived in multiple states, right? Because you can move pretty easily. You're not glued to anything. For the most part, we are autonomous. And this level of of independence that we are so accustomed to did not exist in the ancient world when the book of Proverbs was first written. So we just have to unpack that a little bit. See, you and I, we have personal goals. If you were to tell an ancient person that you had personal goals, they would look at you like you had two heads. 
personal goals. We have family goals. We have tribal goals and village goals. What's a personal? They don't have personal goals, right? This didn't exist. We have self-help books. We write resumes and we have CVs. We pursue personal callings and move across the country like it's no big deal. If you were to tell an ancient person that, they would look at you like a personal calling. I have a calling to my people. I mean, what? Our, our people have a calling. We have a national calling. <laughs> this, this would make no sense, right? In the ancient world, you don't have a family. You belong to a family. In the ancient world, you don't have personal hobbies. You have village festivals that you participate in. In the ancient world, you don't launch your children out of the house. You expand your livelihood with your children. In the ancient world, you're not an individual. You're a member of a family, and then of a clan, and then of a tribe. And then you have ancestors that you remember, and you have descendants that will come after you. This is how you think about your individuality. You don't think about your individuality. You are a people. You don't, in the ancient world, you don't busy your calendar with sports things and, and, and fill up your calendar with other kinds of events. Your calendar is pre-filled with things of the community, like harvesting barley with the entire village in the spring, fermenting grapes together in the autumn, attending festivals with your clan, participating in the liturgical calendar with your tribe. This, this is what you do. You do stuff with people. You don't do stuff that you choose to do. This is just the ancient world. This is how things work. If I were to ask you today, hey, I'd love to, Leo, tell me about yourself. Here's what, you, here's what you'd probably say. I'm a realtor. I like alternative rock. I'm a cat person. Uh, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. You know, <laughs> Enneagram's the one with the animals, right? Like you pick an animal. Like I'm a, I'm a tiger toad personality or whatever. I don't know. I've taken so many personality tests. I don't really know who I am anymore. If you were to tell an ancient person you took a personality test, they would say, a what? <laughs> like this, this would make no sense. If you were to ask an ancient person, hey, can you tell me about yourself? Here's how they would answer. Well, here's my mom and dad. These are my grandparents. This is the tribe I'm from. This is the village that I live in. This is the trade that I was taught for my family. My son's name is Iron. My daughter's name is Juliet. I'm married to Anna. They would describe themselves based on the people around them. It would not even occur to them to say their livelihood or something like that. That's, this, this is totally a new concept. But it's so common. It's so pervasive in our world. Here's a quote from sociologist Carol Meyer. She says, The concept of the individual... And if individual identity as we know it today did not yet exist in the biblical world. For the majority of human history, the individualism and this idea of individual identity that we are so accustomed to, for the majority of history, this did not exist. And this is why it is so hard to find friends. Because we're so used to this. This is why it is so hard to find friends. And most of us in this room, we've never taken the time to actually deconstruct this. We've never taken the time to question, is this normal for me to get hungry and order Grubhub and then set it on my doorstep and ring my doorbell and run away? It's like, is this normal? We've never thought about this because this is our world. This is just how it's always been. Individualism is embedded into our entire being. I drive a car to work. I don't drive a train. I don't talk to other people. I park my car in my garage and then I close the door. If somebody knocks on my door, I assume they want to sell me something or they want me to vote for someone. This last week, two people knocked on my door. One of them wanted to sell me something. One of them wanted me to vote for someone, right? I spend the end of my day scrolling through pictures of my friend on my phone. I don't call my friends. I'm not a weirdo. I send them memes through text. This is how I keep in touch with people because this is normal, right? I don't call them. Today, you can get a high school diploma from your bedroom. 
You can get a college degree from your kitchen. You can get a full-time job of employment without leaving your basement. And this is totally normal. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that you, know, you should change your life and start riding the train. I, I, what, are you going to ride the Hershey trolley around? I, I, you can't even do this, right? I mean, are, are, what, are you going to delete social media? And I, I mean, this, this is just the world we live in. So you can't, you can't change these things. Okay, one person wants to do that. You, 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 can't, you can't change the individualism that is pervasive in our culture. You can't fix that. But you can counteract it. And you can think about it. And you can think to yourself, self, why am I talking to myself? Or I should talk to somebody else. You, you can question these things and you can try to pursue a different life. All right? Even our relationship with God is individualistic and isolated. Well, let me tell you this. This is true. Just about every morning, I wake up early before the kids get up. And in silence, I open this book. I actually use my tablet. But I open this book on my tablet. And I read the Bible in silence. I meditated on it in silence. I pray in silence. And if I were to tell that to the people who originally read this book, the book of Proverbs in the ancient world, if I were to tell them that, they would have said, silence? What's that? I wake up and I got kids, I got, I got chickens running through my house and there's hens, you know, cuckooing or whatever and, and my kids are chasing cows with sticks and grandpa's out there, you know, swearing because they can't start a fire. And like this, like this is the ancient world. You're always surrounded by it. There's no silence. You have your own copy of the Bible? I don't even know how to read, right? This is the ancient world. In fact, in the early church, right after Jesus resurrected, they started, there was this house church movement that started. People didn't have their own copy of this, right? Their house church might have, you know, one copy of the letter from Paul to the Thessalonians, so we're reading that, and we've got to switch it. We've got to give it to the other church, and we're going to read Peter's letter next week. And, like, they're switching letters around. You know, they, they don't have their own copy of this. And so every, every single day, read Acts 2, Acts chapter 2, every single day they gathered in their house church, And somebody would read the scriptures, and they would hear it together. And they would affirm these things together. And they would pray together. And they would share a meal together. And for you and I, that sounds exhausting. It's so foreign to us. But it was so normal. This is why it is so hard to find friendships. Because the way we live life is so normal to us. By ourselves. Individualistic. I'll send you a meme later because I thought of you, right? This is... is, this is not the way human history has always been. All right? Thanks to individualism, we are more lonely than ever before. Thanks to individualism, many of us are enslaved to our social media accounts. Thanks to individualism, we have to search high and low to define ourselves from within ourselves. Thanks to individualism, it is so hard to find a terrific friend. It is so hard to find a friend. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. This goes against all sound judgment, right? You've got to fight against this. So first we discovered, we discovered why it is so stinking hard to find terrific friends. That's why it's so hard. I don't want to leave you there, though. So let's look at this. Let's redefine the kind of friends that, you've wanted, that you want to have. Hopefully I've, comp- I've convinced you that interdependence, not independence, is the way of the wise. So how do we find good friends? Here's a few verses that I want to share with you. Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron... So one person sharpens another. The only way to sharpen iron is to grind it against other iron. Sparks are going to fly and you're going to sharpen that axe, right? The more you use an axe, the more you chop wood and, and dig up roots and, and slam that axe against wood, the more blunt it's going to get, the, 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 the softer it's going to get, the more rounded it's going to get. It's going to lose its edge. It's going to lose its sharpness if it's left to its own devices. You need to grind it against other iron in order uh, to make it sharpened, Right? We need iron sharpening kinds of relationships if we want to be fully mature, developed followers of Jesus, right? 
There's this book by Kelly Needham that I like. It's called Friendish. Again, the title, the title is Friendish. That's the title of the book. And here's what she argues in the book. She argues that a lot of us have a lot of relationships that are friend-ish. And the people we typically call our friends are not necessarily friends in a deep sense, but they are friend-ish. We have co-workers that we consider friends. But if we were to leave our job and, and work at the company like down the street, like right across the street, we'd probably never talk to our co-workers again because they're friend-ish. Maybe some of you have friends that are here in the room, and, they, and, and you would consider them, and, and they, they are your friends. I'm not trying to belittle that. They are your friends. But every two weeks you see them, you gripe about the price of gas, and then you don't see them for another two weeks, right? If you were to go two months without crossing paths for some reason, you probably wouldn't call each other. I mean, you're, you're, you're friends, but you're friend-ish. You have old friends from college, old friends from high school, and every three years you call them to reconnect, but in between you don't, you don't talk to them. They're your friends, but they're friend-ish, right? That's what she argues in the book. It's really hard to have iron-sharpening kinds of relationships with a friend-ish. It's like sharpening your axe against a banana. You ever tried that? It doesn't work well. It just gets gushy, right? It just it doesn't, it doesn't work. We need iron-sharpening relationships if we want to be wise. Here's another verse for you. Proverbs 27, verse 19. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. What he's trying to say here is that iron sharpening friends are valuable, but man, they're sweet. They're like the sweetness of a, a sweet food or whatever, right? But, but, but they're hard to find, okay? In our day, so in our day, we have to unpack this a little bit. You can sweeten anything in a matter of seconds, right? How many of you had a cup of coffee this morning? Okay, several of you. The rest of you were asleep, so you're not hearing what I'm saying anyway, okay? So you had a cup of coffee this morning. I, I, I did as well, and I don't, I don't drink bitter black coffee because that's gross. And so every morning I scoop a big old scoop of, of sugar, and then I get my, my creamer that's got all, all the fun chemicals and stuff in it. I dump it in, I stir it together, and boom, in, in, in a matter of half a second, it's sweet. It tastes good. Uh, we, we have a dog, and my dog always stinks. And so we, we found this, we found this, this spray. It's, it's cool. There's a spray. You just squirt on the dog, you rub it in, and it smells like Febreze. It's awesome. We can make our dogs. We don't even bathe the dog anymore. You know what? We, we tried it on the kids, and it works. We don't bathe our kids anymore. Right? This is what you guys do with the baby, right? You just, if, if not, I'll send you the Amazon link, right? It works great. I'm, I'm obviously joking. We do bathe our dog, right? So, all right. Okay, there's, if there's anything I've learned, I've, read, I've done a lot of reading on the ancient world, and there's two things I've noticed about the ancient world. Number one, everything tastes bad. Everything's bland. And nothing's sweet, right? You can't find sweet food. The second thing I've learned is everybody stinks in the ancient world. Everybody you meet in the ancient world, they work all day and all night. And they bathe like once a month in pre-used water. Like this is, some of you have maybe done some reading. This, this is the ancient world. Everybody smells. Like have you ever read the Bible and you notice they're always like dumping oil on themselves and rubbing oil in their hair and, and like they have like perfume that they like break stuff open. and dump. Well, Why do you think they're rubbing? Because they stink. Can you imagine rubbing vegetable oil on your head and that's the way that you smell better? Like this is, this is the ancient world. Everybody smells. And so if you can find an iron sharpening friend, this is what he says. It's like, it's like perfume. I haven't smelled anything good in a month. I mean, it's like, it's like sweet tasting food. They don't have sugar. They don't have creamer, right? It's, it's like, it's like good smelling perfume and and, and, and the sweetness of something, that's, that's the sweetness of a friend. It is rare to find a good friend. Okay, this is the point. It's rare, but it's worth it to find it. And you have to look. You have to look. I have a challenge for you, okay? 
I have a challenge for you. I want you to think of one person, one person that you think is wise that would be a good friend. I want you to think of one person. Don't think of five. Think of one person. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to text them or call them or whatever. We don't call them. Just text them. And say, hey, let's hang out sometime. I don't care. You can play golf. You can go out to lunch. You, you, you can Zoom for all I care. I don't care. Think of one person. See if you can get together with them. And, and secondly, take a genuine interest in their life. All right? Dale Carnegie once read, wrote this in his book. He says, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by making people interested in you. Think of one person that you think would be a wise friend. Invite them to hang out and then take a genuine interest in other people. So few people actually want to hear your story or whatever. So if you do that with one person and, and see where it goes. That is one thing, one step you can take if you think, you know, I think I have a lot of friend-ish is. I want an iron sharpening tip. Just, just do that. Just try it once. And don't ever think it. All right, don't text somebody and say, hey, will you be my accountability partner? Don't, don't do that, right? Don't text somebody, hey, I'm looking for somebody that's available Mondays at 6 a.m. That's the only, no, don't, don't do that. Don't start a Bible study, right? I've met so many people, they, they, all they want is a friend, so they start a Bible study. Nothing wrong with Bible studies, but don't start a Bible study because you want a friend. Just think of one person, spend time with them, and take a genuine interest in them and see where that goes. If it fails, there's 12.8 million people in Pennsylvania. There's somebody out there that'll be your friend, right? Just, just try it one time. Just try it one time. That is my challenge for you today. Hey, I also have a second challenge that I specifically want to give to our online audience. I, I, I really appreciate that we have this, this technology where uh, people can join us. I've had, I've had so many people tell me that m- many of you, you, you go on vacation and you don't want to find a church on vacation, so, so you watch online, and that's awesome. Or you, or you get sick, one of the kids has a sniffle, so you, you jump online. And so, some of you live, you know, several miles away, maybe in another state, and that's why it's just impractical for you to come in person. So I, I, I don't want you to feel like you're junior varsity, okay? <laughs> you're, you're a part of our church, just like anyone else. But I have a challenge for you. If you live nearby in the area and you don't have a regular habit of coming in person with the rest of us in this congregation, I just want to lobby this challenge to you. I want to challenge you, the rest of you, I'm looking at the camera, to, to take, take for three months, for 90 days, actually just one day a week, so whatever many days that is, for, not, for, for third, three months, come in person. Find a group. We've got connect groups, there's stuff for the kids, all that stuff. Find a group or find a way to serve, like actually plug in somewhere. For three months, come in person, and find a way to plug in. You can do guest care and pass out bulletins. I mean, there's all kinds of things for you to do to help them volunteer. For three months, come in person. Join a group or find a way to volunteer. If at the end of three months, you don't feel like you're a stronger, more mature follower of Jesus, you can go back to online. That's fine. And I don't, I don't, I don't think that'll happen. So I don't think we'll have to have that conversation. But that's the challenge. So I want to challenge everybody with, with, with either that first challenge or that second challenge. We would love for you to be here with us in person, okay? Take the initiative. Try it once. Proverbs says, if you want to be wise, you must learn to find terrific friends. All right? Here's another verse. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, there's two different contrasts happening here. Maybe you caught it, okay? The first one is this. He talks about a man of many companions or one friend. A whole platter of friend-ish relationships or one friend. If you were to put many companions, many acquaintances on a scale and one iron sharpening kind of friend on the other end of the scale, the, the thing's going to tip faster than a knife fight in a phone booth, all right? It's, it's, it's going to tip because one friend is more valuable, so much more valuable than 
uh, uh, than, than many companions. All right, so that's, that's the first comparison going on in this verse. The second one is this. You have many companions, many acquaintances, many friend-ish relationships. That's good, but you may still come to ruin. If you have one iron-sharpening friend, he or she won't let you get there. They're sticky. Friend-ish relationships, are, they're not sticky. They're loose. You know, you could lose that friendship. But, but, but a true friend, they won't let you get that far. You're not, you're not going to come to ruin. They won't let you. They'll stay on your back, right? They are sticky. And this requires time. It requires commitment. It requires constant availability. You may have to add money to your budget to find a friend. You may have to add room to your calendar to find a friend. But it's, it's so much more valuable than a network of friend-ish relationships. I challenge you to find one person. Think of one person. Take the initiative. Take a genuine interest in them. Try it once. If you want to be wise, you must learn to find terrific friends. One of my favorite books that addresses friendship is a book by Paul Bunyan called Pilgrim's Progress. Really old book written in the 1600s. How many of you have read this book? Okay. A bunch of you. So a bunch of you are, if I've read it, maybe more of you are familiar with the book. It is, a, it is an allegorical story. So everything in, everything in the story, everybody you meet, the past and, and, the, and the buildings and everything, everything is a big allegory, okay? And so it's a story of a man named Christian. And Christian discovers one day, he notices that he has this burden. It's like a backpack. It's, it's a burden that's on his back. And you can see the ropes are twisted around him. He can't get the burden off. And the burden represents the guilt of his sin. He's, he feels like he's weighed down by his sin. And he can't, he can't get rid of it. He, he can barely stand up. He feels like he's going to over and, and, and the weight of this burden on his back may suck him straight down into the grave and into hell. So he, he wants to get rid of this burden. And one day, one day he discovers this book. It represents the Bible, obviously. And he, he begins to read the book. And he notices that the book tells him how to get rid of this burden that's on his back. There's this journey that he has to take to the celestial city, also known as heaven, right? And so as he goes about this journey, trying to get this burden off of his back, he meets all these different kinds of characters. Some of the characters are wise, and they, they lead him on a wise path, right? Walk with the wise, and you, will, and you will be wise. Some of the other ones that he meets are foolish. Some of them are evil, and they lead him down the wrong path. He gets stuck. He, has to, he goes down a shortcut and finds out the shortcut doesn't work. He has to go back. Okay, so, so some of the people in his life are leading him down the wrong path. Some of them are leading him down the right path. All right. One of the first people he meets is here's a picture of him is obstinate. Okay, everybody in the book, their name reveals their character. Right. So obstinate is obstinate. All right. So he meets this this one character. Obstinate says, "Man, Christian, you are foolish. You're, you're, that's not how you get rid of the burden. I'm going to show you the way." He almost leads him off a cliff. Right. He almost leads him off a cliff. Thankfully, Christian doesn't listen to him, sees him for who he is, and turns back towards the right way. Later on, he journeys to pass through the slough of despond. The slough of despond. It's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like this, this murky swamp area, right? He's, he's stuck. You can see the, the swamp is kind of led up almost to his waist. He can barely get through. He can't see anything. It's dark. He keeps stumbling across roots. And, and what's happening is he keeps getting stuck because he has fears and doubts and temptations and lusts and shame that he wrestles with. And he thinks, I'm never going to make it out of here. But thankfully, someone comes along and shouts to him from the side named Help. And help jumps in and begins to guide him through and, hey, step this way, don't go that way, and step on that route, and you can grab onto this tree and pull yourself in. And help is a friend to him in that time that helps him get out of the swamp, and he finally gets out. After this, he, can, he travels on down this journey of life, and he finds himself in the valley of the shadow of death. There's no way around it. This is the way, right? So he travels through the valley of the shadow of death, and it gets real. It gets real. He struggles with depression, with discouragement. He, he's, he's tormented by demons in there. And then right after he begins to exit the valley of the shadow, he is captured by a giant named Giant Despair. Giant Despair knocks him out with his club, knocks him out cold, throws him on his shoulder, and takes him to his castle called Doubting Castle. 
And as he's in Doubting Castle, he's locked in a dungeon. And every single day, every single day, giant despair comes and opens the, and opens the dungeon and beats Christian. He, he taunts him. He plays mind games with him. He tells you, you're never going to get out of here. You're never going to get out of Doubting Castle. The only way out is for you to take your life. You're, you're, you're never going to survive. You're never going to get out. You need to take your own life. He leaves weapons in the room, tries to tempt a Christian to take his own life. And Christian thinks about it. He almost does because I'm never going to get out of Doubting Castle. I'm never going to get away from giant despair. This is the only way out. I've got to take my own life. But thankfully, he has a friend that is with him. Okay? His friend's name is Hopeful. And Hopeful keeps telling him, there's a way out. Of, I don't know what it is, but there's a way out of here. We're, we're going we're gonna to get out of this castle. There's a key hidden somewhere. We can trick the giant. I don't know how. But we're, we're, we're going to get out of Doubt and Castle. And he listens to his friend Hopeful. He would not have gotten out were it not for his friend. And he gets out of Doubt and Castle. All along his journey, he meets all kinds of people who get him into trouble. He meets Pliable. Pliable is a good friend who travels with them for a while, but eventually he leaves when he, get, he, leaves when he gets hard. He's a fair-weather friend. He meets Flatterer, and Flatterer distracts them for a while. They fall into a trap. They get tangled up. It takes them forever to get out. Later on, he meets Talkative, and Talkative is a nice guy, but he looks better afar off than he does close up, you know what I mean? He meets some other characters that are quite helpful for him. They are true friends to him. He meets Hopeful, once again, who gets him out of Dowling Castle. He meets a friend named Faithful, who helps him get through the Valley of the Shadow. He meets Help, who convinces him not to take shortcuts, and he helps him get out of the slough of despond, out of that swampy area. Okay? There's these different friendships that he encounters. And were it not for these friends, he would have never made it to the celestial city. This book by John Bunyan, and I, I encourage you to, it's probably free because it's super old, right? It's like the first uh, novel translated in English. So you can probably find it somewhere for free. But it tells us, Christian story tells us that if you want to be wise, if you want to be wise, you must learn to find terrific friends. I think there's another lesson that Christian shows us in his book that there's a unique friendship <clears throat> that two Christians can have. Now, if you're not a Christian, someone who's not a Christian, you can, you can find great friends, and they're very helpful in life. And, and the book of Proverbs has, has some good advice on how to do that. But there's a special bond that only two Christians can have, where you are praying for one another, you are spurring one another on to love and good deeds. The Holy Spirit is there with you, forming your friendship. And C.S. Lewis says, a Christian can never truly say that he found his own friends, because there's a master of ceremonies that is bringing Christian friends together. Right? So there's, there's something special about that. And I just want to say this. If you're in this room today, if you're, if you're watching online today, and you were to say, you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian. I mean, maybe you were baptized as a kid, and, you know, your, your mom was a Christian, took you to church or whatever. Maybe, maybe, maybe you have these influences, but you would say, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. If that's you, I, I, I would just, I hope this is helpful, but I would also encourage you to come and talk to a member of our prayer team. Right at the end here, we're going to have members of our prayer team, and they would love to just chat with you, just, just pray for you. You know, we don't have to put any pressure on you, but I would invite you to talk to one of those. And once again, I want to challenge you. If you want to be wise, you must learn to find terrific friends. Just try to find one. If you can find one, you are a fortunate man, woman, boy, or child, or a boy or girl, right? Just find one. Take the initiative and take a genuine interest in somebody else. Let me pray for us before we leave today. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open up Proverbs and to read your word about what it says about friendships. Uh, Lord, as I look around at my brothers and sisters in this room, I, I know that some of them already have terrific friends. They, they, have, they have one, two. Maybe they're super lucky and they have three terrific friends that are iron-sharpening kinds of friendships. Uh, I, I just want to thank you for providing that relationship to them. And uh, may, may, may this message today just uh, refocus their eyes on how valuable 
and how crucial those relationships. May they be even more grateful that they have those friendships in their life. Father, I also want to pray for, for my brothers and sisters here that maybe, maybe they're listening to what I'm saying and they, they think, man, I have a lot of friend-ish relationships. I'm not sure who would be an actual friend because they're all acquaintances, they're all friend-ish. I pray that you would give them discernment to see someone that they could take initiative with and maybe that could become an iron-sharpening relationship, one that sticks like a brother and won't lead, let them lead into ruin. Lastly, Father, I want to pray for the person that's in here or the people that are in here that this is just a discouraging topic because they don't feel like they have a friend. Someone in this room, someone watching online, they feel lonely and isolated and don't have a friend. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be a comforter to him, that that, uh, Jesus, the Son of God, would be their friend. And I pray that you would give them the courage and the encouragement to try this, to take this challenge, to think of someone that that they think is wise, that they could maybe initiate a deeper friendship with. And I pray that you'd give them success in that. Once again, Lord, thank you for the common grace of friendship. We pray this to you, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you all for your kind attention. Uh, as I say every, every week when I'm up here, that you are not dismissed. Instead, you are being sent. You are being sent to reject the individualism that is so pervasive in our culture for something much better. You are being sent to find one iron-sharpening kind of relationship with another person. Hershey Free, you are not dismissed, you are sent. Thank you.